0: Welcome to Out of the Question, a podcast that looks behind some common questions and uncovers the question behind the question while providing real solutions for biblical world and life view. Your co-hosts are Pastor
1: Steve Macias and Andrea Schwartz, a teacher and mentor. You are listening to the Out of the Question podcast. This is Andrea, joined by my co-host Steve, and today roughly a week before Easter 2019, I thought we could address an aspect of church history that many people are unfamiliar with. So, Steve, I'm posing this question. Do calendars matter, and specifically what is known as the church calendar? Is this something that is an asset to the kingdom of God or not?
0: Well, I believe it's an asset, and I think this is a great time to talk about this. But I think there's a, obviously, as we always go through, a question hidden behind here. And I think when most people encounter the church calendar, when they encounter Saints' Days or Easter or Christmas, the question that they have nagging in the back of their mind is, is this a Catholic calendar? Is this a Roman calendar? Or is it even a Christian calendar? And so I was hoping that we could go in through some of the seasons and discuss uh, how they go from the Old Testament to the New Testament and what the Christian today has as far as obligation or allegiance or even benefit to the church calendar as we understand it today.
1: Because most people think of time, you know, look at your watch, hours in the day, and we all have calendars, and those calendars help us plot out our time. But I think we need to differentiate, and I think we're going to get there, between a secular calendar and a distinctively Christian calendar.
0: Sure. Well, and there's really no better place than to start with those beginning time markers found in the book of Genesis in the beginning. And even that very first narrative has the history and the theology of creation put up into a creation of six days, of a distinction between night and day there's a very much a week and a day and a pattern that's not only in creation, but it's also becomes pattern for the rest of our life with the establishment of the Sabbath in the old Testament. So the idea of a calendar is in one sense, a creational ordinance it's given to us as a picture and a reflection of how God creates. And so there are, of course, throughout our natural calendar, we go to sleep at night, we wake up in the morning reflections of God's nature in the calendar around us. Night and day are reflections of rest and work. So even something as simple as the division of the day reflects something about God's creative being. And so celebrating and practicing calendars are really reflecting back God's character to him and also acting out what it means to be created in the image of God. And I think if you start from that aspect of saying the way we order our time, measure our days, measure our weeks, measure our years, must be a reflection of what we were created to be or who we were created to be. Then we can have a proper perspective of the various calendars in the Old Testament and the various calendars that were created by the Christian Church and gives us perspective on what impact or what benefit we might get from those.
1: Okay, so let's start in the Old Testament. Aside from the Work 6 and Rest 7, and we know that sometimes there were double Sabbaths, and there was a sabbatical year, the seventh year, six years, and then the seventh, and then there was a Sabbath of Sabbaths, the Jubilee. Talk about how the seasons that were to be celebrated wove their way into the fabric of being a faithful Hebrew.
0: To be a faithful Hebrew, you had to keep the, you know, the principal feasts, uh, there was the feast of the Unlived bread, which we're getting ready to commemorate or annualize here shortly as uh, shortly as Christians. That's the the Passover, this historical kind of remembrance memorial feast where they would reenact the Exodus account. Everybody, I'm sure, is familiar with what the Passover is. But that was something that happened on a church calendar. There was the uh, feast of weeks, which we understand to be a Pentecost, which was kind of moved from the Jewish calendar to the Christian calendar through the uh, day of Pentecost. So most people don't understand the, the Feast of Weeks from Deuteronomy becomes the Feast of Pentecost with St. Peter. Um, and then there's also the the Feast of Booths in Deuteronomy. And these feasts were also, there's other feasts that get accrued throughout the Old Testament, leaving to, you know, things like Hanukkah after the, during the time of Christ and, the, I guess the movement of the church calendar uh, today kind of mirrors these ancient church events, Passover, Feast of Weeks, Feast of Booths, in a sense that they were given a picture of God working through their redemptive history. Now, uh, we don't celebrate these feasts in the same way today as, say, the Jews did, because they were looking back towards the Passover, but also looking forward to the fulfillment of the Passover. Anybody who's ever seen a reenactment of a cedar meal or look at the what the Feast of the Booths or Feast of Weeks was looking forward to, even the Sabbath and the, the Jubilee years, we're all looking forward to their fulfillment in Christ. And so the rhythm and the history behind the Old Testament feasts were all a pattern working into the daily life and daily years of the Jewish people an anticipation of the coming of Christ in human history.
1: So... Why do you think that we have, I mean, not all traditions have lost this, but why, by and large, has Protestantism decided that the church calendar was less important today than maybe it was centuries ago?
0: Well, I think there's probably many answers to that. One of the really strong benefits of having a a church calendar for people that was, uh, for the most part, instructed in the scriptures by the church is that it gave a natural movement and and rhythm to the daily life. So if you have a Easter and Christmas pattern, you come to the church, you can see the story of the gospel lived out, celebrated, read all of those different parts of uh, Christian tradition. But as you know, from Gutenberg press on to today, you can read that at any time, you know, any day can become Christmas because you can read the Christmas narrative at any time. Whereas In the traditional church, the Christmas narrative was limited to December the 25th or, you know, the season of Advent. And so part of it is the text of the Bible became more democratized, you know, more people had more access to it. And so the significance or the scarcity of the ability to hear things limited to their certain days became decentralized. And there are great benefits to that but there's also a loss of a cohesive community that's all worshiping and celebrating on the same calendar. I think another thing that happened and, uh, is that as Christians moved away from the Roman Catholic Church and uh, the superstitions, that they were looking to apply a standard. Um, some people would call this a you know, sola scriptura or the regulative principle, and they only wanted to celebrate and do the things that were explicitly commanded for them to do in the scriptures. And so something like celebrating Christ's birthday, St. Paul doesn't explicitly say to do this in one of his epistles, so they thought that that was warrant to maybe remove some of these additions that have been accrued by the church over the years.
1: So you're not saying that celebrating particular events in the church calendar, and I, the church calendar starts, you'd say, with Advent, and then it goes to Christmas, and then there's post-Christmas, and then you go to lent and easter and then pentecost so you're talking about a rhythm and this rhythm would allow all portions of scripture to be covered because they would be incorporated in a particular season
0: well yes and no so not all the scripture is covered by these seasons and i don't think that's the point of the christian season seasons either what the movement from Advent to Easter does is it begins with the birth of Christ and ends with the you know, the resurrection and ascension of Christ and the beginning of his church at Pentecost. So what the rhythm that the church calendar gives you is it gives you this annualized event where a Christian is invited to participate in the life of Christ anew every single year. No one can escape the you know, two most important events of human history, the uh, invasion of human history by the incarnation of Christ coming from this other plane we call heaven into earth in human form. And then the most remarkable thing of resurrecting from the dead into a uh, new life, this second most important event called, you know, Easter. So the two capstones of human history and Christian history are put into dates and were memorialized from the birth of Christ to the resurrection of Christ. I think that's what's most important about the church calendar is it makes it so that you cannot go a year. You can't go a month without being reminded that your life must be conformed to the life of Christ.
1: So it seems to me that one of the problems of the modern evangelical church is that someone comes to church and it's not a systematic approach to even going through the gospel they show up, and depending on what the pastor is going to talk about, he he might be in a particular book of the Bible, but is this person oriented to what's being discussed and why? So it sounds like you're saying that at a time when not everybody originally had the ability to read their own Bible, all this material, whether it was all done in a year or in a series of years, that people would end up hearing the basics of the faith, and realize that it was more than just knowing a bunch of facts that it had to be lived out as well.
0: Right, and that's how God, you know, organized the Old Testament, right? You had you had certain events throughout the whole year uh, that led up to a, you know, a climax. Whether it was the weekly events of the temple or the monthly events of the seasons, the annual year led up to this kind of day of atonement in the Old Testament where all of the things that we had accrued from the entire year needed to be expiated and put upon uh, death at the temple, right? So there's this, this natural order in the Old Testament of continually and annually reminding ourselves of our need for redemption, of sacrifice, of a savior, and something about the church calendar is made for the human nature right so god gives us a system of annually remembering our sins of annually remembering the need for sacrifice and he doesn't give that to us as a matter of of superfluous superstition right some people think of whether they're the dietary laws or the or the ceremonial laws or the the laws of dressing every single symbol color letter of the old testament had meaning and rich significance it wasn't there because it was god's fancy it was there because it reflected some kind of internal meaning or reflection of god's character so even the timing of an annual sacrifice of an annual feast of an annual commemoration were meant to better serve human nature god wrote the scriptures wrote the calendar of the annual year with a day of atonement because he knew that men and women needed to be reminded on an annual basis that they needed a Savior. And so the Christian calendar reflects that Old Testament idea by reminding us that we need our calendar, our daily, monthly, and annual life centered around the story of Christ.
1: So it seems that maybe this coincides with the advent of the public school movement and then eventually getting to a point where Christianity in the name of Jesus was barred. Today we have people who operate on calendars. We talk about the school year, we talk about summer vacation, we talk about winter break. Used to be called Easter break, now it's spring break. So we're celebrating seasons of nature. We're celebrating various national holidays. If you start from January, at least when I was growing to school, all the way till the end of the year, you always knew which months had days off which were going to be celebrations of Washington's birthday or Lincoln's birthday or Veterans Day or Memorial Day or the 4th of July whatever it was but we've gotten away from even understanding that although we celebrate Christmas and Easter that we're celebrating these things all through the year.
0: Yeah that's right we celebrate it throughout the year, but the calendar that we traditionally understood is continually under attack, right? You talk about these these days that we used to know, Easter break or or whatnot, but now people mark their calendars by a special Sunday in February. The Super Bowl is the most important Sunday in the beginning of the year, or they label it by not just some sports event, but they try to change even their their week, they measure it by what days they go to work, right? So Monday through Friday becomes their work week and Saturday and Sunday becomes their recreation time. Even this idea of rearranging your time changes how you treat that time as well. I mean, you talk about when you remove God's standard of how do you measure time, it affects how you function as a human being. So now we have this culture and, and really epidemic of people who go to work Monday through Friday. They're so upset. It's Monday. We have whole entire sections of our society that hate Monday because they really hate the drudgery of their jobs, and they look forward all the way through Friday. Friday comes. Thank goodness it's Friday. Now my real life can begin. They have this own little pseudo-liturgical calendar where they have a five days of Lent and then two days of feasting repeated mm-hmm. over and over again, you see, these ideas of calendars are, are inescapable. And if we don't follow a pattern that reflects God's standards or that tries to mimic God's creation or that tries to conform itself to God's ways, we end up with other human systems that are met, meant for our detriment, not for our flourishing. And this isn't the first time. You know, we're, we've been, over the last 150 years, you know, gradually losing our Christian identity. We're losing... Christian calendars, we're losing the name of Christ, uh, Christmas, we're losing all of these different pieces. But for the most part, we still have an emphasis on Easter, an emphasis on Christmas, but we are ignorant of the great richness of the calendar and the support it has for instructing us on what the Christian faith is. But be- before we get to that, I think we should talk about something that I think is, is very interesting, and in that the calendars have been tried in other ways, in other times of history. The French calendar in the French Revolution, of how they tried to move from a seven-day calendar. Are you familiar with that story?
1: Yes, but tell it, I'm sure not everybody is.
0: <laughs> well, during the French Revolution, they tried to move away from this creation account of six days and of labor and one day of, of rest. And they tried to, uh, you know, the French Revolution take these three ideas, secularism and rationalism and naturalism. So they looked at the different seasons of the year you know harvest seasons or you know where the sun is and they said you know what makes most sense is if we had a base 10 calendar system and they could say you know the earth's rotation and revolution are in these astronomical realities and it would be easier for them to measure their days if they all used a base 10 system well what happened is humans using this base 10 calendar rejected it you know it didn't last it was one of the sources of the people of of unrest among the people they recognized that this base 10 system was contrary to their very human nature for them to work for 10 days was just too much on their souls unfortunately though most of americans have begun moving away from 6 day 1 day cycles to no vacation no days off or moving to uh, systems where there are ignoring their other human responsibilities for the sake of preserving their own pseudo-calendar like the French Revolution. But the the end story of the French Revolution is that they tried to rearrange the number of months, they tried to rearrange the number of weeks, the number of days in the week, and all of this, even adding extra holidays and all these things, failed. You know, it made less productive people, it made people who were intolerant to their political ideas. Everything was tried and changed, but what they ended up back with was God's related idea of seven calendar days and regular months in an annual year based on the cycle of the solar system. And I think that there is some truth to the church calendar that reflects our human desire for structure order because it's based on that Old Testament system of a system of sacrifice and a system of birth.
1: You know, it's interesting. We talk about the assault on Genesis where It's not good enough that the Bible recounts he made them male and female, and that marriage was between a man and a woman. And so that's come under assault. And just the very fact that man's internal clock, as he was created by God to work six and rest one in terms of six years and then a sabbatical year and then a year of jubilee, is that... Man hurts himself when he doesn't do things according to the way he's been made.
0: And not only hurts himself, but he's prone naturally to a system of idolatry. And so the Reformers look to the Scripture to be their standard, and they wanted every part of their life to come under the guidance of the Scripture. So why would there be any unit of time that wasn't subjected to uh, the scripture standard and you know we can talk about the french revolution and how they were trying to really obliterate the old order you know france at this time is trying to remove 16 1700 years of christianization and so one day they do it was to remove that order but it's not enough to just destroy the old faith what they were also doing in changing their order is they were assigning new days so we do this with Sports games or, or status holidays, but will naturally, because we're idolaters in our heart, start to name days after things that are not Christian. So we will name things after our heroes. We have Cesar Chavez Day, we have Earth Day, we have you know all these days that are not in any way related to the story of Christ in the Gospels. So when we remove days that are meant to honor the story and life of Christ we're not left with a vacuum of of days where we're just all reading our scripture and celebrating the Lord's resurrection every day. Our natural idolatrous hearts will replace those empty days with idolatrous days. And that's exactly what happened in the French revolution. They started making days for quails and days for grapes and days for worshiping the creation rather than the creator. And so the whole point of the church calendar is not that you would belong to some denominational system. It's that, Man's idolatry must be answered with a solution rather than a vacuum. Today is the week before Easter. You put throughout next week a day for each day in Holy Week where we remember a part of Christ. We are fighting back that natural human desire to make idolatry in our lives for our days. And that's really what we're going to end up doing because our natural human inclination is to fill in our days with idolatry.
1: Now, one of the criticisms of, I think, liturgies in general, but the church calendar, is that people say, well, see, it just becomes automatic. People aren't really paying attention to what it is. And it's much better not to have things that you just do on automatic because then it loses its meaning. How would you answer that?
0: I would say that sometimes automatic is better than spontaneous. Automatic is better than what our culture likes to call real or this pseudo genuine feeling. As a pastor, I've been in the room when older folks have been close to death. I've held their hands as they are losing their ability to withdraw back thoughts or compose complete sentences. Folks who have been going through you know, months of of suffering or even very difficult medical treatments. But through years of memorizing prayers, something like the Lord's Prayer, or through years of going through the rhythms of the church calendar, they'll come back with simple prayers, the Lord's Prayer or the Jesus Prayer, or they'll come to you with memories of these Easter moments, because what the church calendar is doing is it's, putting those things into the deep recesses of your human ability, you know, your human faculties. And those are so much more powerful than spontaneous and pseudo-genuine real moments. And what, what people miss, I think, on this subject of rote versus spontaneous is that the Christian life is not the life of one hour during Sunday, it is the seven days a week where you don't want to be a Christian, when you're living like St. Paul and fighting against the flesh. And so what you need to be doing is training your body to react when you don't feel like being a Christian. And so if you're always living on some kind of emotionalism, where your most genuine moments are when you are most ecstatic and full of emotion, then your Christian life is only going to be you know, as deep and as strong as those emotional, you know, moments. What we need is folks who are willing to, to join the downward or upward spiral that takes the Christian ideas and gradually works them into our most core part of our body where even our last moments, we can just remember those rote, memorized prayers, where we can remember those times when we trudged through when we didn't want to.
1: And it's really not a foreign concept to have a calendar. I mean, everybody remembers their birthday. That doesn't happen on a whim. Okay, I think I'll celebrate it this year in April, and next year I'll do it in November. People remember their anniversaries, and those tend to be family calendars. And sure, the family is God's basic institution, but the family is not God's only institution. So families coming together with a joint faith, having a calendar where we know, and we still have it to a degree, who are you going to spend time with at Christmas? What are you going to do for Easter? What about Thanksgiving? All of these have similar roots in some of these Old Testament festivals and feast days that you mentioned. So we we naturally sort of do it, but there's been, and I think you mentioned earlier that a lot of people say, well, that's just very Catholic. And you see, the Reformation did away with all that, but it really didn't do away with all that. The church calendar didn't dissolve as a result of the Reformation.
0: That's right. And I think that that's a really important part is we also have this misguided notion that the church calendar was one of these innovations of the Roman Catholic church. And there is a little bit of truth to that. I, sh- I should you know, be completely honest with that. There are certain saints days and idolatries that were, Uh, added to the church calendar over the years. But this idea of celebrating the resurrection and incarnation and the life of Christ has been a practice of the church since before Nicaea. And so if you think about that and you say, okay, the same Christian leaders, you know, Athanasius or uh, the the early bishops, Nicholas, these men who were fighting for complex doctrines, you know, the hypostatic union, the doctrine of the Trinity, the reality of the Incarnation fighting Arianism, these guys who were getting down the minute details of which Greek version is correct also celebrated this rhythm of the church calendar. And so it's not Catholic in the sense that it's some Roman edition, It's Catholic, and this is what was practiced by the universal, the Catholic Church for all of history. You couldn't go back to a church a thousand years ago and not find Christmas being celebrated. You couldn't go back to a church a thousand years ago and not find Easter being celebrated. These two principal feasts are part of what it meant to be a practicing Christian. And so the the traditions that come along with them are are deep, and I think that they're also beneficial.
1: I was... um in terms of getting ready for this, I did some reading and some watching on YouTube, and I was hearing an Anglican priest talk about that the seasons of the church, they're seasons of rejoicing, they're seasons of reflection and penance. And he said that some people take objection to, well, what if I don't feel like rejoicing? What, what if things are bad in my life? And he said, sometimes it's not a bad idea to recognize that this isn't how do I feel today that objectively speaking, that it is good occasionally to stop and think and reorder your life in terms of where you've gone astray, but certainly during seasons of rejoicing, that it's almost an offense not to be rejoicing as we consider the incarnation and then the death and resurrection and ascension of Jesus.
0: Yes, and there are there are some traditions in the Anglican place that, our listeners might not be familiar with that go along with those feelings. There is a little bit of a an artificial prodding to your soul that the calendars do, right? So for example, right now we're in the season of Lent, and so we're not allowed to say certain words in the worship service. Right? There there are contraband words, words like hallelujah. We're not not allowed to sing the gloria. And so there's this suppression of certain feelings and words that's not real, right? We we obviously feel like we want to say, praise God, hallelujah. We obviously want to say glory to God in the highest. We want to sing those songs. But we artificially suppress them, reminding ourselves with this external reminder. And then for these 40 days, this feeling is suppressed. And then when Easter finally comes and we get to say that again, there's this kind of jump-starting of your your mind and jogging your memory of what did those things actually mean? And so while the the charge is often leveled against, you know, liturgical or calendar minded churches, that they're just doing the same things over and over again. The rhythm is written in such a way that if you're paying attention and coming every week, that you are constantly being prodded this direction and that direction, turned upside down, emptied out, told you to search your soul, told to spit out your, you know, your joy for the Lord. And every part of your psyche, your emotions, your psychology, all of them are triggered at different times of the church year. And that is contrary to what we see in modern churches, which is we only want to talk about things that will make you prosperous, things that will make you free, things that will make you happy, things that will make you joyful. The modern evangelical church is seeker-friendly It wants you to come and enjoy your time at church. Well I'm going to tell you that if you were to come to St Paul's Anglican Church this next week during Holy Week there's a good chance you're not going to enjoy <laughs> good friday you're not going to enjoy being told it's your fault Christ died and it's your fault that he suffered and it's your fault right that he was crucified those are not happy or prosperous times but the church calendar forces our bodies minds souls to encounter uncomfortable parts of the of the church year uncomfortable parts of our own lives and it will pair those with uncomfortable parts of the scripture. Psalms that we normally wouldn't enjoy singing are read at this time of the year, reminding us of our sinfulness and our responsibility of our sinfulness uh, in the role of Christ's crucifixion.
1: So I think what we can say safely is that modern man is very self-absorbed, self-directed, and it's oftentimes, how do I feel about this? But even that orientation can make you go through life without thinking about what you do and why. People talk about, well, you don't want to have empty rituals because then it becomes rote and you, you don't really think of it. But think of all the things that happen in wedding celebrations. How many people understand all the facets of the modern wedding? Why they do what they do? Why certain practices are done? Why their attendance? Things like throwing of the bouquet or the throwing of the garter. See, we have all these rituals, but they're not Christ-centered often. And so when we talk about Christ-centered rituals, liturgy, or calendars, we act like, oh, no, 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 that just means superficiality. But having these things isn't what makes it something that's rote or superficial. It's how the individual orients himself to it.
0: Right. And superficial is a good word to discuss here because – If you were to describe something as superficial, uh, the church calendar is not that. I know some of us have paid attention to classical or, or Baroque art, and we've always, you know, paid attention in a way that we can say that here are little pieces. I'm thinking in my mind right now of a, of the birth of Venus, right? And there's a woman standing on top of a shell. And if you were to bring a young boy, you know, 12 years old or 13 years old to see the birth of Venus painting, right, they will not understand the different layers of this painting. In fact, they'll probably be so caught up in the idea that there's a naked woman in this painting that they completely miss the idea of what this is trying to communicate, all the different colors or or designs or the history behind it. They'll miss it because all they're paying attention to is the superficial elements. And it's possible to do that with the church calendar. We look at it superficially of saying, here is an artificial calendar that goes on top of our January to December calendar, it doesn't really mean much. But if you look at what the calendar is trying to do, it's trying to say that throughout your life, your days must be numbered according to Christ's life. That's nothing superficial. There's nothing superficial about looking at your remaining 50 years, 30 years, 20 years, and saying, how can I organize what days I have left? to follow the pattern of Christ's life. And so by us repeating the liturgical calendar every year of Christ's birth, of his suffering, of his death, resurrection, and ultimately his ascension and sending out the church, we are teaching people that your life begins with Christ and it ends with Christ. And it must continue to be uh, centered around that element.
1: So this is something that families can start if they're not going to a church that pays attention to the church calendar. This is not something that's just reserved to the church. It's something that is in aid. It helps us. It's not meant to be a burden and oppressive, the way some people look at Sabbath rest. Oh, I can't do what I want to do because it's the Sabbath and I can't do it, as opposed to this is a gift from God that I am to rest from my labors and trust in him. So a lot has to do with how you orient yourself to these things.
0: Right. And of course, the the most basic church calendar is Sunday to Sunday, right? So if you want to begin orienting yourself towards a church calendar, make it a point to be in a Sunday mentality of observing the Sabbath, of honoring the Lord with your time on Sunday. And Sundays are kind of like, you know, being married, I don't remember which pastor said it, but I'm certainly borrowing this anecdote that said, you know, celebrating Sunday for the Lord is like kissing your wife, right? You do it over and over and over again, but every time you want to do it again. And so that should be our perspective on not only Sunday, but the entire church calendar. I know there are some people who are former Catholics who were burnt out on the, the rigorous uh, you know, application of the church calendar or They did that all growing up and didn't mean anything to them. But come at Christ as the bride and re-look at the church calendar and say, what can I do in my annual year, in my annual week, to reorient myself to match the life of Christ?
1: Like so many things, that's a good thing. And we can see that we don't have to reinvent the wheel. 2019 can look back to the thousands of years between Christ's ascension and now, and say, we have a lot to learn from those who came before us.
0: Right, which was the purpose of calendars to begin with, right? They celebrated the Passover because they wanted to recount what God had already brought them through, not because it was magical, but because it gave them confidence to take the next step, to you know make dominion over this next area If God can take us from Egypt into the Promised Land, crossing a Red Sea, surviving through manna in the wilderness, conquering our enemies here in the Promised Land, certainly the Romans aren't a problem. So let's celebrate the Passover again. And it was through this observance every year for generation after generation that eventually brought about Christ, who did accomplish what the Passover promised. And so you, who are a Christian today, observing the church calendar are following this same pattern. Christ who took the new Passover. Christ who gave us the new Sabbath. We recount what he has done, not because there is some magic in remembering, but because this gives us the strength, the power to move forward in human history. Christ who is the Lord over yesterday is the Lord over tomorrow.
1: And you use the word there that I was going to say, remember. If anything, this gives us a pattern So we're constantly remembering. And the scripture in the commandment on the Sabbath says, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. It isn't like, okay, just check a box and I've done it. But when we remember, we bring ourselves back to our membership again in the body of Christ. Amen. Well... Happy Easter to you. I know next week is going to be a busy week for you. And I just hope people do take the time to remember the significance of the Last Supper, the significance of Good Friday, the significance of the time between Jesus being in the tomb and resurrecting, that this is our heritage. This should be way more important than what your local football, hockey, baseball, or basketball team is. This is our team, and we've got to be good members of that team.
0: That's right. Christ is risen. His, his rising from the dead is the center of all human history. Let's remember it as that in our years.
1: Well, until next time. Thanks, Steve.
0: Thank you, Andrea. Thanks for listening to Out of the Question. For more information on this and other topics, please visit calcedon.edu.